and this morning I just kind of want to start out with another question for us, um, because I, you're going to have to come back again to hear the answer to his question, and so you kind of have to look at this like when you're getting ready to watch your favorite you know, television show, and all of a sudden a special bulletin pops up on the screen and says, the President of the United States will now be addressing the world. And you go like, oh man, I wanted to see what happened. So you'll have to come back, it's the same thing, I'm the President and I'm going to talk to you today, but you'll have to come back next week so you can go, oh man, it really sucks, but that's okay. Uh, but uh, I want to ask you this question because uh, I want to see how honest you are. I guess that's the best way to put it. Um, how many of you have ever known that something was wrong, absolutely, and yet you went ahead and did it? Okay, we actually have more honest people in here than we did the first service, so you guys are great. <laughs> That's awesome. I like to preach to you guys because uh, you're honest, and uh, we all do that, and uh, it happens all the time. It happens to both men and women. Uh, it happens to the young and old. It happens to the rich and poor. There are no racial boundaries that hold it in. It is what the Bible says is, is common to man when we fall into those traps. And uh, it seems like uh, rarely a week goes by that we don't hear about some uh, religious leader or, or some leader of our country or something that falls and... Uh, we look at that and go, wow, that's really sad. I don't know. Any As I Lay Dying fans in here this morning? Okay. Did you hear about the lead singer for As I Lay Dying? That's kind of a sad deal. He hired a hitman for his wife. You know, <laughs> we were, or was trying to. It turned out to be an undercover officer, you know. But uh, it's, it's just really sad. You know, we were talking about it Friday night, and we were like, Apparently, the guy didn't believe in divorce or something, so he decided it'd be better to hire a hitman. But uh, there's these flaws that take place sometimes, and we fall into these traps, and, and we see people all the time that, that fall, and, and it's not something that's new. It's, it's something that's, that's very, very old. And the sad thing is, is the things that, that Satan has used from the very beginning of man, he continues to use today. And if you're like me, you fall for those traps over and over and over again. He may package them a little different, but basically it's the same thing. Uh, when I was a kid growing up, my dad loved to play this game when we were driving. Uh, he used to drive a uh, truck that picked up eggs at farms. I'm kind of dating myself there. I'm really sorry. But uh, they used to have these trucks that went around all the farms and picked up eggs. And that's what my dad did. And when I was little, I used to go with him on the egg route. And then he started selling cars. And so when he would deliver cars, he'd take me along. And, and uh, one of his favorite games to play was he would wave. And as soon as you'd look, he'd bat you on the back of the head. And it was just, it was just a fun game that he played. And it was just uh, amazing how many times I would fall for that. We would be driving along, and sometimes he'd go, hey. And I'd look, bap, you know, and we'd drive two blocks, hey. Bap, you know, and and uh, pretty soon I'd be like, okay, now I got it figured out, you know, and and then he would wave and I wouldn't look, and so then he'd go, oh look, a deer, and I'd go, oh, you know, and and uh, it was just that that silly game that we played over and over again. But I, I finally did uh, learn not to not to fall for that again. But uh, I tell you, that's the same type of feeling that I get sometimes 
when I look at what Satan does to me and how he, he traps me. Because this morning I want us to look at some of those techniques that he uses, some of those things that he does uh, that he's been doing since the beginning of time uh, to trick us, to get us to, to fall, to get us to sin. And he's using them over and over again. And uh, there, there is nothing that is more frightening to Satan than a Christian who is living the life that he's been called to live. And Satan knows very well that if he, if he tries to take that Christian head on, that he will lose every time. And so he takes this position where he would rather create this walking dead, where he would rather take these things that he's done, that he's done since the beginning of time, and just take the leech approach and slowly suck the life out of us so that we become Christians that are just the walking dead. And I think one of the best defenses that we can have from that happening is for us to take a look at that and see exactly what he does. And this morning, we're going we're to look at this passage of Scripture in Genesis and uh, start at the very beginning to see that he's still affecting us the same way and still attacking us and using the same things, and we continue to fall for him. And by exposing that, I hope that we can be a little bit better at defending ourselves. And uh, this, I'm going to try and make it easy for you because they all start with the letter D and uh, um, so if you can say, duh, you can get it. So um, the first one is that Satan disguises himself. Now, I really have a passion for turkey hunting. Uh, if if you have me on Facebook, you saw it here a few weeks ago. Uh, I was up in the sand hills of Nebraska on a turkey hunt. And I've got a couple friends from Georgia that come back every year. And we've been hunting together for about 12 years and and they're just aghast to be around them. We, we just have a great time. But we are serious about our turkey hunting. And uh, it, it, it's great because uh, you, can, you can get all commando. And I don't mean not wear your underwear. I mean, you get, you get all decked out in your camouflage. You know, and the, the one guy from, from Georgia, a lot of times you can tell when he's really getting serious because he'll break out the war paint, you know, and he'll have the kind of the Duck Dynasty look on. And... Uh, <laughs> it's amazing how, how we can camo ourselves up, and the whole idea is to make ourselves invisible uh, to the turkeys. And, man, we blend in, and it's a lot of times when we get a setup and we've got uh, everything set up to where we want it to be, we'll, we'll actually go and take a picture so that we can look at that picture and say, oh, yeah, where's Mike, you know? And uh, you can't see it a lot of times. It's amazing how, how camoed up you can get. And, and I use this, I use a slate call because I can't do a mouth call. But I, I do this slate call because I want to sound like a turkey. And we hunt turkeys in the spring, and so the whole idea is to sound like a hen turkey. And so as, after we get all set up, we get on here and we just do these little soft clucks. And when you, if you're a Tom in the area, you go, hey, there's somebody I haven't heard of before. And then you get, if, if you really want him, when you get him to come close and you want to really get him excited, you give him a little soft purr like that. 
Oh man, I tell you what, to Tom, that is, hey baby, how you doing? That's what that is. <laughs> and those Toms, it, whenever I talk about turkey hunting, I almost, I feel bad because it's just so crazy, especially as a guy, to, to do this to a Tom. Because, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you are getting him so turned on. And uh, he's like, oh, here is someone for me. I've been looking for them forever. And they get all puffed up and they get their fans out and they come in and we kind of have a rule that we want them to strut before we kill them. And uh, so uh, we really work hard to get them to come in. And man, they do, I don't know if you've ever seen it or not, but they do their, their uh, turkey strut, you know, and they got their wings out and their fans up and, and they, uh, they uh, uh, spit and drum. When they come in, they'll, they walk in, they're like, hey, look at me. And then they go, <laughs> and they got this waddle that sticks out of their head and it gets real long and they pull it up and it wiggles around. And, and I mean, to a hand turkey, that's exciting. And uh, it, it's crazy because we go to all this work to get this Tom excited and we get him to come in and then we kill him. And, uh, but uh, we want to sound like that turkey, and we use decoys, and uh, we put these decoys out, and you can buy these, these hand decoys that just with their body language says to that Tom, hey, I'm ready. And, uh, you know, you set them out there because the whole idea is you want that turkey to be focused on the decoy instead of on you. And so when he walks in, a lot of times, you know, they're, they're not exactly sure where you're at. And it's so funny to watch because they'll come up over a hill and they've heard you because they can pinpoint sound. It's amazing. We've called it a turkey a half mile away. And you can tell they hear you and they head on a deadline and within 15 minutes they'll show up. And as soon as they see the decoys, you know, they get all excited. And so we use those decoys to distract them. And that's exactly what, what uh, Satan does so many times. He camos himself up. This was an interesting survey that uh, BARDA released, BARDA Research Group, who does a lot of studies about churches and Christians. And uh, he released these results. And it says, uh, as far as two-thirds, 62%, so nearly two out of three adults agreed that Satan is not a living being, but just simply a symbol of evil. And even more surprising is that 52% of born-again Christians deny Satan's existence. And 72% of Catholics say the devil is also non-existent. See, he's done a really good job of disappearing into the background you know, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. You know, I'm not here. I'm all camoed up. I'm hidden. And he's done a pretty good job of that. And he, he sounds so good. You know, like I get on that call and I make those sounds. And, and uh, I, I tell you, one of the guys from Georgia, uh, if I'm not hunting with him sometimes, and maybe he's off somewhere, he likes to mess with me and he'll come in close and he can make the sound of turkeys. And I'll get all excited thinking that I got turkeys coming in and instead it's him. 
but he can make that sound. He can sound so good. And Satan does that same thing. He, he can sound so good. When Satan talked to Eve, he didn't you know, just walk in and he, go, he didn't say, Hey, Eve, I'm Satan and I'm here to tempt you. Uh, no, you know, he, it says that he was crafty in his approach. And the, and the word crafty there really means wise or, or persuasive. And he, he can do that. He, he knows what we want to hear. And he helps us. And uh, uh, you have to stop and think about, when you think about what happened in, in Genesis, when Satan went into the garden to tempt Eve, Think about the odds that he was up against. I mean, here they had no unmet needs. They lacked absolutely nothing. They lived in a perfect paradise. There wasn't any of this wishing, boy, I wish I had a five-bedroom house instead of a two-bedroom apartment. There wasn't any of this, oh, I wish instead of my Honda Civic I, I had a Mercedes. You know, there was none of this. They lived in perfect paradise and they had no predisposition to sin and yet he was able to to draw Eve into this disobedience because she didn't really recognize who he was and like a turkey decoy she was really busy looking at that fruit and didn't see the danger you know it would be so easy for us if there was this flashing neon sign that we would see every time Satan begins to tempt us. Or an alarm would go off, you know, danger, Will Robertson. Does anybody remember Lost in Space? Yeah, okay. You know, danger, Will Robertson. You know, something like that would be awesome if, if that happened whenever Satan came around, but it, but it doesn't happen. And, and he camos himself up, and he disappears into the background, and yet his influence is there. Secondly, he deceives us with half-truths. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, it says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, uh, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. And notice what he says. You will not certainly die. So Satan begins to plant this doubt there. And, and what he did was, was not untruthful, because we know from the story that Eve did not die when she ate the fruit. Because that's not the kind of death that, that God was talking about. But instead, he used that half-truth. And, ah, you're not going to die. Just, you know, you can, you can eat that. And uh, so now in the midst of this perfect creation, Eve suddenly becomes discontent with all that she has. Now the evil of eating the fruit appears to be a good thing because God's been treating her unfairly. And can't you just hear Satan pose the question, now, you know, didn't God say he created all this for you? I mean, why would he put this tree there? 
I mean, I've asked myself that question. God, what were you thinking? I mean, if you are a sovereign God and you knew that, this, that Eve was going to sin, why would you put the tree there? I want to ask him that someday. I don't understand. Why not just you know, put the tree there but put, put it guarded by something that would eat you alive if you even tried to look at it? You know, but, but why would you put it there? You know, help me understand that. And, and I'm sure that Satan was pulling at that and, and driving that and, and trying to get her to say that because he's such an expert at helping us to justify doing what we want instead of what God wants. Yeah, I, I am so amazed sometimes how good I am at justifying things. I mean, we talked about the guy from As I Lay Dying. There was a process in his mind that he had to go through to think it was better to hire a hitman for his wife than to simply leave. And that's a process that Satan is working in. And so many times we want to discredit that and say, oh, no, no, this guy, was he was probably just you know, his eardrums were probably blown or something and caused inner ear infection and, and uh, he'll, he'll be okay, give him penicillin, he'll be fine. But no, uh, it's a matter of the heart and Satan is so good at that. And if you've ever found yourself in those positions where you're just totally justifying and basically a lot of you admitted that you've done that, you knew it was wrong and yet you went ahead and did it and a lot of time that's a process that, the, that we go through in justifying that, well, it's okay this time. These are kind of trivial, but I want to point them out because I think it kind of helps you understand. Ladies, you know, if God's, if, if you're in that position and you're looking at this pair of shoes and you know you should not buy it, and yet you say, look at these shoes I have on. I mean, I have had to wear these same shoes twice this month. This is horrible. This is terrible. I mean, if, if God did not want me to have these new shoes, he would not have allowed credit cards to be issued to me. <laughs> and since I am not completely maxed out on my credit card, I believe that God wants me to have these shoes. Or guys... <laughs> you convince yourself that you cannot invite any friends over to watch the NBA playoffs on your 47-inch TV. I mean, it just, just isn't right. I mean, not when you could have an 86-inch television. I mean, after all, size does matter. And, uh, you know, especially when you're talking, having guys come over. I mean, how amazing it would be. And just think of the evangelism. That, <clears throat> excuse me. Wow. <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> but just think of the evangelism that you could do if, if you are at that point where, where you can invite all your friends and they want to come over because you have the biggest screen of all of them. It would be amazing. It would be wonderful. And God, God wants me to evangelize. Right? You know, and those are just stupid examples. But yet, you know as well as I do that we fall into that trap. And we do those things. And Satan is so good at, at manipulating those little half-truths to get us to do that. Thirdly, 
<clears throat> he distorts reality. Look at verse 6 there in Genesis. It says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate, and he ate it. Satan succeeded at focusing Eve's attention on the one thing that God had forbidden rather than the abundance of things that God had provided. They had everything they needed to be happy, and yet Satan said, no, wait, 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 wait. There's this one thing. And he has this way of distorting our reality to to cause us to have this discontent because we don't have that one thing. He loves to breed discontentment in our families. He loves to breed discontentment in our jobs. He loves to breed discontentment in our churches. And he gets our vision so distorted that we forget. You know, sometimes I really struggle with when I have one of my little spiritual pity parties, you know, I'm suffering so much for God. <laughs> and then I look at how other people suffer, and I think, man, that's horrible. You know, sometimes we consider suffering being that there isn't enough hot water in our hot water tank that we can take a nice hour-long shower. That's suffering. And yet, I wonder how sometimes how people around the world look at us and think, man, you have no idea what suffering is. You have no idea what hunger is. You have no idea what it means to go to bed at night wondering if your house church is going to be found and you're going to end up in jail. And there's people around the world right now that are truly suffering. And compared to my suffering, <laughs> this is nothing. But Satan is so good at distorting that reality and making you think that nobody is suffering as much as you. Nobody feels the pain that you're feeling. In Proverbs, there's a great illustration of this that he gives as he's writing to his son. He says, in Proverbs 7, it says this, While I was at the window of my house looking through the curtain, I saw some naive young men and one in particular who lacked common sense. He was crossing the street near the house of an immoral woman, strolling down the path by her house. It was at twilight in the evening as darkness fell. The woman approached him, seductively dressed in sly of heart. She was the brash, rebellious type, never content to be at home. She is often in the streets and markets, soliciting at every corner. She threw her arms around him and kissed him, and with a brazen look, she said, I just made my peace offerings and fulfilled my vows. You're the one I was looking for. I came out to find you, and here you are. My bed is spread with beautiful blankets, with colored sheets of Egyptian linen. I perfume my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink our, full, our fill of love until morning. Let's enjoy each other's caresses, for my husband is not home. He's away on a long trip. He has taken a wallet full of money with him and won't return until later this month. 
So she seduced him with her pretty speech and enticed him with her flattery. He followed her at once, like an ox going to the slaughter. He was like a stag caught in a trap, awaiting the arrow that would pierce its heart. He was like a bird flying into a, a snare, little knowing it would cost him his life. So listen to me, my sons, and pay attention to my words. Don't let your hearts stray away toward her path. Don't wander down her wayward path. For she has been the ruin of many. Many men have been her victims. Her house is the road to the grave, and her bedroom is the den of death. Satan loves to put those decoys out there for us to pay attention to and to ignore the danger, to ignore the pain that we know is going to happen and to just stumble right into that trap. He promises the best, but he pays the worst. He promises honor and pays with disgrace. He promises pleasure and pays with pain. He promises profit, but he pays with loss. He promises life and pays with death. And that leads us to the fourth thing, and that is that he devours us when we're weak. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9 says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You know, if you've ever watched the Nature Channel and Predators, you know, that's an awesome show if you like things tore apart. But, uh, you know, uh, here you have this, these lions, you know, if you've ever seen that with, with the lions when they're hunting. And, you know, they're looking for the weak. They're looking for the sick. They're looking for the, the little ones that can't defend themselves. And they wait until the opportune time, and then they pounce. But have you noticed they don't go around roaring at that time? I mean, it's not like they're, Rawr, you know, I'm, I'm the mighty king of the jungle. Come here, I want to eat you. No, they don't do that. They hide, they sneak, and they wait. And if you've ever been in that position where Satan has set you up and then he pounces and you feel the weight of the guilt, the hurt, the pain that you spew out on other people, you know what I'm talking about. How you have been devoured. And it's such a sad thing because you see it all the time that people fall into that trap and Satan wants nothing more than to find you weak and to pounce. He's hungry to see you fall. So what's the answer? <laughs> we, we've looked at that and you know, you're all like, man, this is really depressing. <laughs> uh, but there is an answer. And I love how J. Oswald Sanders, who was with Moody Press, he wrote this years ago, and you can tell by the way that he wrote it that it was a long time ago, the style of writing. But the words are just so good, and he defines it so well. He says, Lest we be terrified by our adversary, it is well to remember that Satan's power is not inherent, but it's permitted. It's not unlimited, 
but it's controlled. It's not invincible, but it's broken. It is not assured of success, but it is surely doomed. Satan knows well that there is no ultimate victory for him. The pronounced sentence has only been postponed. But he works to hinder and postpone Christ's final triumph. And we can rejoice in the certainty of of John's assurance when he says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. It's 1 John 4, 4, where we have that promise. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, and that he is Satan. This guy that wants to just suck the life out of you wants you to forget that. You see, we can be strong in Christ knowing that the cross is our confidence and that empty tomb is our hope. We can lean heavily on the work of the Holy Spirit in our life that gives us the power to stand strong when we need it to. And we can attach ourselves to God in prayer by simply crying out to Him as our Father and say, God, help me. That's the answer. So many times we just trivialize the fact that Jesus is the answer to beating Satan. He is the answer to avoid the walking dead. He is the one that springs forth life in us. Let's pray. God, this is just nothing earth-shattering, and it's nothing that, that is probably really unique to anybody here this morning. But yet that's part of, part of what happens to us as we just get numb and don't recognize how Satan is working in our lives every day. And it's scary and it's frightening to think that there are times that he, is, he recognizes our weakness and he wants so much to make us fail and to just cause us to stumble. And Father, just just give us the awareness. Help us to recognize when when our hearts are being tempted to turn away from you. Help us in those moments where we have to make that choice between doing what we know is right, no matter how hard it is, and instead just look to you for that strength. God, just just help us to be able to, to focus our lives on you. Give us life through your spirit, Father. And God, I just pray for that person here today that is just feeling the weight of guilt and the hurt and the pain that Satan is so good at dispensing and the discouragement. And there's times when we just want to give up. And God, it's for that person this morning that I pray that they will find you, that they will find your strength to take a next step and to run into your arms and to feel the love that you want for them. 
And Father, we just lift each one of us up as a community that we will help each other to be able to work out our salvation in you, to encourage each other and to strengthen each other as you would have us do. God, we just pray this on your son's name. Amen.